This is hard to believe. This is week 11 of us going through this, and we have been working our way through living as an ambassador for Christ and working in the lives of other peoples. This is a four-part process. We're in the middle of a four-part process of living as an ambassador. It started with several weeks ago uh, living that incarnate life of Christ, loving other people, and in that same manner that God loves us, loving them as we work with them. That's where it all begins. If we don't start with love, then the rest of what we do is not really going to be from a biblical basis. And so we need to, needed to start with love. And then in these last two weeks, we've attempted to kind of gain a biblical understanding of the person that we're working with and also figure out where heart change needs to take place in their lives. We go about that first by, do you remember, we go about that first by, I'm doing it right now with you. Asking questions, right? And asking the right kinds of questions. So we talked about asking open-ended questions and, and the specifics of how we should go about asking those questions. And then, last week, by organizing the information that they give to us when they're talking with us, organizing that information into categories and almost hanging them, um, again, metaphor, hanging that information on hooks to help us organize. And those four hooks were the situation itself, the responses of the person, their thoughts, and then also the motives behind it. And by organizing this information that they're giving to us, because if you remember, we gave the illustration of you going around the house and collecting the laundry. We don't want to just dump all the laundry into the washer. You have to organize it. And so organizing that information can be helpful in us understanding what the person is going through and what's actually going on there in their heart. I challenged you at the end of last week uh, to make this personal and We've been challenging you to maybe uh, have these kinds of conversations and these opportunities with other people, but I thought it'd be helpful, especially as you're around family and maybe uh, some things can bring out in your own life, um, certain heart behaviors, to think through this from your own perspective, the situation, the response, the thoughts, the motives of maybe something that's going on in your heart. And I, I know this is something that probably a lot, most normal people don't think about because you're not really maybe self-aware as to some things that how you're thinking and that sort of thing. But I was hoping that as we've gone through this class, it's maybe made you more self-aware of either stuff going on in your own heart or your children or spouse or whatever and how you can help them or how you can maybe identify in your own life what's going on. I won't pressure you into this, but does anybody have any personal you thought through something. You don't have to give us the detailed specifics of it, but anything come to mind? I know last week was busy. You maybe didn't have time to do this. I told you last week, Kirsten and I were going to have time to do this, and we did because we rode up to North Carolina and back, and so we had a chance to talk through something like this. I'll just give you my own personal example without giving you all the details with it, but you know, a, a situation that Kirsten and I have that comes up on a somewhat frequently basis, doesn't happen all the time, but something that comes up, and us just going through this, like, okay, what's the situation that happens that then results in everything else that kind of just kind of snowballs and turns into this pack of a lot of, a lot of things going on, and what do we do, and how do we change it, and whatnot. Um, so the situation and, and how we dealt with it, and then our responses and it kind of allowed us to identify the situation maybe you have um, when I get into this kind of situation typically this kind of thing results and if you've ever um, identified something like that you can say it's usually like men with with wives you know that like key phrases it's not gonna lead down a path that you want to go down <laughs> right 
And at the beginning when you're younger, I'm looking at Mike because Mike and I are probably kindred spirits on this. Like we would say something early on in our marriage and then it would like snowball and we were not smart enough to not say that again. And so we kept doing that. And then finally something just kind of hit us in the head like, hey, dummy, don't say that. Sorry, Mike, if I'm okay, but all right. Yeah. All right. So yes, then. Okay. Yes. Mike and I have both had this problem then. And then we're like, yeah, okay. That situation is not going to lead to the response that's going to da 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 da. And so we don't even go down that path, right? We can identify those potential situations early on. Um, and so for Kirsten and I, it was the same kind of thing, identifying the situations. And then the responses are responses, sometimes frustration, sometimes anger, sometimes annoyance, sometimes whatever it was. Those are the kinds of responses we're talking about. And then thoughts, like thoughts about God and how he deals with us and thoughts about how we relate to each other and thoughts about the other people and thoughts about how can this ever change and that sort of thing. And then the last one there, the motives, what did you want from this? Well. Um, the temporal is I want, I want us just to have harmony in this situation, or I want to just be left alone with this. Okay. That may, that may be your motive, but if that is that God's motive is just harmony or being at peace going to be the thing that God wants. Probably not. He wants heart change. He wants us to change in those moments, um, that we are experiencing those other things. So again, this just helps us organize everything so that then we can, do what we're talking about this week, which is speaking the truth and love when we're talking with somebody. And so that's what we'll be focusing on this week, the aspect of living as an ambassador and speaking to other people. Um, let me start with this. Uh, the word rebuke is really the word that the Bible uses. And when I use, when we use the word rebuke, um, I would guess that there's usually not like a positive reaction that comes to that. You don't, for instance, say to somebody like, yeah, this person's coming over to my house tomorrow and uh, they're coming over to rebuke me. I can't wait. Right. Like nobody says that. Uh, it usually is something that you think of rebuking as in um, somebody's maybe doing something wrong. And so that they rebuke them. And often a lot of times rebuke doesn't necessarily carry with it ideas of patience and love. Rebuke is usually like I rebuke somebody in anger or um, like again, I'm frustrated with them, so I rebuke them. But that's what God calls us to do. This idea of speaking the truth and love to them is all about rebuking them, but rebuking them um, in the manner in which the Word of God and God Himself rebukes us. So that's what we'll be focusing on this week. If you would turn to 2 Corinthians 5.20. This is where we'll start. 2 Corinthians 5.20. I want to talk about this process of rebuking. We've made it... Uh, sound nicer for this lesson though. This is the process of confrontation. And as we consider this bringing truth to somebody else, probably the best way to start about it, to talk about it, is to talk about our goals. What is the goal of this process of conf confrontation? And in particular, what, what are the, re the results that really should motivate us as we speak to someone else? 2 Corinthians 5.20 It says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. That last part there, be ye reconciled to God. I think this is really key. I'm going to, this is early, but 
This has been a huge help to me, this lesson this week, and I want to continue to think on it, and I hope it will be a help to you. Again, maybe something very personal, you dealing with somebody very close to you or somebody dealing with somebody else, but I feel like this is, there's a lot of practical information, but for me, I'll just be honest with you, there's a lot of things that God rebuked me of this week because in my dealings with other people, um, it got very practical, and it really identified things that I do that I need to change. And this first one here I think is really important for us I do think that most of us, at least I do, I, again, I don't want to be talking about myself the whole time. I'm just trying to give you an illustration. Remember, we talked about the importance of stories. So um, when I'm trying to help somebody else, I really do want them to change. But I'll be honest with you, a lot of times, like, I'm annoyed with their behavior. Like, I have to deal with this again? You're doing this again? Are you serious about this? We didn't learn about this last time? And so to be honest with you, there's a lot of times where I'm frustrated. Um, my motivation is I just want them to like fix this, right? Um, I will sometimes, hopefully I'm not angry, but frustrated with them. Impatience is probably another word that, uh, that can be described in the, the way that I respond sometimes. But that, that, that shouldn't be what motivates us. What motivates us should be God's desire to make his appeal to that person through us. That's the instrument aspect where this name, where the, book, the name of this book gets its title from. So when we think about this, our goal, what should that process be if we are trying to deliver God's message to someone else? It needs to first, there's three steps to this that I think, again, very practical. There's three steps to this, and it first starts with something that I think a lot of times, again, I'm just using myself as an example, but I think a lot of times gets overlooked and the first step in the process when I'm delivering this message of rebuke or confrontation is this whole process needs to start with myself. It starts with ourselves here. And it starts with dealing and, and confessing our own sins and, and making sure that we have the right attitudes, but dealing with our own hearts here. And first, very simply, is just maybe confessing any wrong thoughts and motives that we might have. Again, I may be frustrated with this or impatient with them or I'm tired of the way or maybe it was something that I felt like embarrassed me and so I'm, in, I'm slightly embarrassed, like I'm wanting to, conf to rebuke them because they didn't do what they should have, but there was also creeping, creeping in there of, you know, the situation made me a little bit embarrassed. I don't know if any of you can relate, but if you have children, <laughs> right? Okay. Like, yeah, their behavior was wrong, but probably my response to it was I was a little embarrassed because we were in public and their behavior embarrassed me a little bit. And so I just off the hook got mad at them and took them to the room and spanked them there, whatever. Um, but all right, so I need to start and, and confess my own thoughts and motives here. And I instead, I need, to, I need to ask God to provide for me the love and the courage and the wisdom to represent him in this circumstance. I'm sure you've heard this example before. You may have had done this before, but I know some parents that before they spank their kids, discipline their kids, they I heard of one guy that placed the spanking spoon like all the way at the end of the hallway on the top shelf so that at least before he gave the spank, he had to walk all the way down the long hallway, open the door and reach up in the top. So at least gave him about five to 10 seconds to think through it. And I think even in my own parenting, you'll see me... <laughs> I'm rushing through the room, running over to that spanking spoon as fast as I can so I can get back to that kid as fast as I can and get him to the bathroom and spank him on their bottoms. And it's usually because I'm a, again, I have good motives. I know that they need to be disciplined, but there's also bad motives in there. And it may be beyond disciplining your children. It may be talking with somebody else. 
You know, I'm even thinking about talking with some people that are close to me and they bring, they say something and I want to quickly give them something back in return. And that process, typically what's happening there is I'm not starting with myself, I'm starting with what's their problem. And when we rush through that first step, there's several things that uh, you probably can identify these, but there's a lot of terms, times where those moments of ministry turn into frustration and anger because I haven't thought through and prayed through and made sure my own heart is right before I give that admonition, that rebuke to them. A lot of times I personalize things that are personal. Um, there's a lot of times where things become very adversarial very quickly there. I'm not there to help. I'm not there to come alongside. I'm there to meet them head on and I'm gonna win, right? Um, there's a lot of times where I start throwing in my own opinions rather than giving them God's word. And there's a lot of times where if I just want this thing fixed very quickly, then I'm gonna start trying to give them solutions to the problem. And a lot of times those solutions aren't what God's solutions are. Maybe you can identify those in yours, but this is one that just kind of hit home with me this week. It, it starts with me, which is contrary to people, what people might think. But I think this goes back to when we talked about like, when you're going to help somebody, you're not their guru. If you're their guru, then I'm going to come to them and I'm going to come at them swinging and we're going to beat this out of them so that their heart changes. Yeah, I know how to fix their heart, right? And that's not the way that God deals with us. Um, so it starts with, with ourselves there. Number two, understand why people need to be confronted. A very simple question I think to start with is, is just why do people need to be confronted here? And we've discussed several of these, so I'm not going to go back and look at, at previous uh, scripture passages, but if you want to write down, let me just remind you of like the deceitfulness of sin. Sin blinds us. Um, when I'm dealing with somebody, they think that their way is right, and that way may go completely contrary. A Christian, I've, I have interacted with people who, when they're talking to me, and I'm trying to help them, when they're talking to me, what's coming out of their mouth, I'm like, are we reading the same Bible? What is that? It's just the deceitfulness of sin that's in our hearts still. Um, there's also sometimes just some wrong and unbiblical thinking. Uh, Psalm 73 is a good passage for this one if you want to go back and look at it here. But this is where the psalmist is looking around at all the ungodly and being like, wait a second, this isn't adding up here. I mean, they're blessed. They got all this food. They got these nice homes. They've got no. And what am I doing serving God? I'm being persecuted. I'm being... Something's not right here. This isn't this this apparently what God's telling me isn't really true about how life actually works. It's wrong thinking. Sometimes it's emotional thinking. When you come to a situation a lot of times where a person needs heart change, there is emotional and sometimes it can be heightened emotional circumstances. And very quickly, you can be wrapped up in that. And so it's an emotional situation now for both of you and that's not going to end well either. And then finally, sometimes our view of life and God, this kind of goes back to the wrong thinking here, but if we don't know who God is, really. Um, I heard one time I was talking about like the love of God. I know God is loving, but I'm just not really sure if he loves me because of how things are going on around me. I think there was a book one time, some of you maybe heard about this. Dr. Burb talked about it, Quieting a Noisy Soul. Um, it was something like, if God loves me, why can't... It was written either written for teenagers or written about like something like that. He's like, if God loves me, why can't I get my locker open? 
And it just kind of, it's silly, but it kind of illustrates the points like, I know God loves me, but I'm not really sure if he loves me right now because of everything that's going on. And that's just common, right? That, that's, and so people need to understand, uh, or excuse me, we need to understand people and why they need to be confronted. And those are some of the reasons. Again, we've talked about those in the past year. Third one, third, pro, third step here in the process of confrontation is to speak with God's goal in view. And there are a couple of things that I want to discuss here. Um, when we talk about speaking with God's goals in view, the first one <clears throat> is just simply helping them see what God sees. Um, you know, we're, when we approach that person and start talking with them, we're not there to talk to them and confront them with what we see. Again, that's very, this is the practical. I told you we kind of dig down into some of the big stuff that we've been talking about the first five, six weeks. When we talked about like giving people our opinions, this is the giving them our opinions. Well, this is what I see here. And we need to be careful because what do we actually need to give them? What? What God's word says, sees, right? That's the way that he communicates to us as to what's going on in his mind. And so if we're not, if we don't know God's word, if we're not communicating to them what God sees, then we're just giving them our opinions. And that's not going to lead well, lead down a path that we want to go down. So the first thing when we speak with God's goal in view, we need to make sure that we're using God's word as the mirror to allow them to see. And just again, an ambassador does not give his message. An ambassador gives the person in charge's message, the king's message. And so we need to make sure that the message that we're delivering is his message and just simply reflecting, holding up the mirror for them of God's word so that they can see what God is saying about their situation, about their heart there. And then the second one, I would ask you to turn to Joel 2, 12 through 13. The second goal here. Joel 2, 12 through 13. It says, Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Joel talks here, he talks about not just renting the garments, which can be like that external behavior for your remorse, but he also talks about rending the heart. That's real heartfelt remorse for their change. So what I'm trying to get this person to do, I'm trying to encourage heart change that impacts the, per- the person's response to life. I'm trying to get them to change behavior. What do we call this? Repentance, right? That's the goal for this. The goal for this is repentance. If you want to say... I. Here's what I hear sometimes, like, I just don't know how to change, or I, I just don't know, what, what's the solution here? The solution is you're going this way, and what does God want you to do? Go that way? No, God wants you to turn around and change your behavior entirely. And sometimes that looks like what Joel just described there of rending of the garments, like that may be external behavior, like, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stop going on this. I'm going to stop looking at this. I'm going to stop turning this on. I'm going to stop whatever. But it's also a change of heart. But there, I think there is a combination of the two. People want to, like, I just don't know how to change with this situation. Well, change your behavior, first of all. But that's a start to allowing your heart to change as well. Is your heart going to immediately change? 
No, the heart's not going to immediately change, but there has to be a behavior that changed so that it's, it's habits of sin, right? And do you break a, Do you stop a habit right now, like immediately? I, I just, I, I've never seen this, and maybe you do this, but this is like outliers. I think that, and this is an olden day example, but I think of like the people who said like, I just quit, one day I just quit smoking. It's like, and I think sometimes we want to deal with sin like that. Like one day I just quit sinning. Like, that's not real life. That's not, those are exceptions. That hardly ever happens. A change of heart is something that takes place over time. And, and does, it, does it sometimes result in you falling back a little bit into sin or maybe falling back into that? Yes, absolutely. But he's trying to work on our hearts so that behavior is changed so that we completely change. So the goal here is repentance. So um, that process starts with ourselves. Understand why people need to be confronted. And the third one there, speak with God's goal. And the priority here is repentance. Um, one of the mistakes that the book pointed out that I thought was really good, a mistake that we, that we often make as we work with people and we attempt to help them with this uh, leading to this, to this path of repentance is that we at times will emphasize the law over the gospel. Um, if you would turn to Romans 2 4. We're going to work at Romans 2 4 and then also 2 Corinthians 5 14. Paul talks about this in Romans 2 4. He says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak. Oh, excuse me. Wrong passage. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness? And forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. What does Paul say, say leads to repentance? The goodness of God, right? It's his kindness. Um, his, his grace is what leads us to repentance. It's not your words. Um, it's not, like we said, the law. It's the gospel. And the gospel is that good news that God came to save and in his kindness sent a savior. And in that same kindness and that same love, he is what is going to transform our hearts and allow us to have hearts that are going to be led to repentance. And then the second one there, lead, uh, look at 2 Corinthians 5.14. familiar passage it says for the love of christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all then we are all dead the love of christ is the thing that compels us to no longer live for ourselves but to live for him and i know that sometimes there can be like two extremes like i just sit back and it's up to god to change me we all know that there's an element of god's of us obe obeying and then also God's grace is love and, and leading us to repentance. But both of those things work in harmony with each other. And so as we work with somebody, we need to remind them of a couple things here. And I think these are extremely practical. I want to take time to look at each of these passages here. But as we confront these people, we need to make sure that we remind them and they are aware of several things. There's three things. The first one, if you would look at 2 Peter 1, 3 through 9. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 9. And I'll read that one here. And then we'll look at second or 1 John. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 9. 
says, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to his glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. And I think about my own life and how many times I forget my identity of Christ, like what's actually available to me and who I actually am and what Grant was talking about this morning, like the promises of, of God and what he provides for us and what he um, allows us to have. And the, even just simply the forgiveness of, of sins for when we fail. Um, I think sometimes it's maybe personality and maybe you don't struggle with this, but like sometimes when I, when I sin, and, and not remembering that the forgiveness is available to me immediately. I don't need to beat myself down or feel like I'm, it's not like going over in the olden days where they used to penalize somebody by going over and have them, have them sit over in the corner with their nose against the wall for five minutes until they've paid their, their penance. Like that's not, that's not how God works. And beyond that, all of the things that God provides to us and for us and how he um, wants to change us, and that leads me to the second one. We're not going to read the second passage, but the second one there is that remind them that God promises forgiveness. I think of passages, and you can probably think of, but well, I won't. Well, what's a passage that uh, conveys this promise? Most obvious one is yeah, First yeah, John one nine, right? Um, again, another promise that if we confess our sins that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So remind them of their identity in Christ, who they are. Remind them that there is that promise of forgiveness to those who ask for forgiveness. And the third one here is remind them of the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Um, I think a lot of us forget this fact, that you have Christ, you, or excuse me, you have God living inside of you. And all that is available through the Holy Spirit. Um, look at Ephesians 3.20. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundant above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Um, a whole sermon or series could be preached on that, the exceeding abundance that he can work in us. Um, and that a lot of times I think is maybe in our circle sometimes is min the, the work of the Holy Spirit and the power and uh, the way that he moves is maybe sometimes minimized or just not talked about as much. But the fact that you have God inside of you and what that means and the, the power for change as it relates to what we're talking about here. I, I just don't think that I can change. Will I ever have victory? No, not in your own flesh. You will never have victory. You don't have the power to have victory. But for the believer, the Holy Spirit lives inside. And as Grant mentioned this morning, there is a promise of sanctification. Dwell on that. Think on that. Um, encourage the person to think on that. This is a promise. There is hope. Right? That's where our hope comes from. 
is the fact that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us and that Christ um, is working our hearts to become more like him there. There's two things here. Let me finish with this, and I'm probably not going to do this justice for the time that we have, but look at Romans 8, 1 through 17. This passage is helpful here in this um, idea of, of the gospel working in our hearts because it kind of captures two sides of the gospel, both a comfort and a call. Let me go ahead and read this. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life is Christ, in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemns sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of this. And if Christ be in you, the body, of dead, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by, the, by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye by through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our, our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. These two aspects here of the gospel, the comfort and the call. The first, the comfort that you can remind them of. That first part that it was just that, that Paul stated there is that Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. Um, there is that again, that, that idea of moving past that sin that that person is struggling with. That, that isn't something that has to be kept on them. That's something that Christ already paid for. It was something that as because of Christ's work, God's anger has already been, been satisfied. And we can have confidence that he will forgive us. But it goes beyond that, that part that we were just talking about with the Holy Spirit, is that the Holy Spirit is what gives life to our mortal bodies, our, that weak flesh that does continually struggle with sin. And so because of that, what does that mean for us? It means that now you're dead to your sin, to that controlling power of that sin. And now you can live to obedience of Christ. There is that possibility. There is that capability of us doing what is right because of the work that Christ did. And so we can follow him in simple acts of obedience. Um, we, can, we can, for whatever daily life situations bring to us, the people that he brings into our lives, the relationships that we have, we can have victory in those situations. Uh, we can respond appropriately. 
We can um, say things that are pleasing to him. We don't have to respond in frustration or anger or whatever it is that the person is struggling with. So the condemnation has been removed and forgiveness has been granted. So that's the comfort that we can provide to him. And then the call here is that really, if you look, there's in, in uh, Romans there, the word can actually be translated and it's used there is the word obligation. And it is used there to define what the gospel really calls us to. We are obligated there. God is obligated there to work a change in our hearts and in our lives. It's that idea that I was just talking to you about, about his promise of sanctification. And so we, need, we are obligated to put to death the misdeeds of the body there. And that goes back to the point of, of our responsibility and God working in us as well there. So the first goal here is that the promise of forgiveness and power. And then the second call there is that call of the gospel for people to accept their responsibility of God working in their lives there. So just to summarize, um, you know, as we talked here at the beginning, but when we confront, when we rebuke, we're really hoping people are hoping that we are just communicating God's word, God's goals to them. And the goal ultimately is repentance for them to change. That is what God is asking of them. God, that is what God is wanting to do in their lives. And as we speak that truth to them, we need to make sure that we're delivering them to the gospel, helping them understand what their identity is if they're in Christ, the power that the Spirit gives to them. And the hope there, number three, the hope that God is wanting that confession and that repentance because he's wanting to work in us a work of change to make us more like Christ. <clears throat> um, I, again, this may be something I, I've found this, uh, it has been revealed to me over the course as, as I've gone through this, is that this book is just serving as an instrument in my life to see how, how change is, is needed to be working in, in my heart. But as I think that that's one of those things where if it becomes personal to you, then it's something that then you're able to communicate to somebody else and be a help to somebody else. And like I said before, I've, I hope that this has provided for you some practical examples and some practical things that you can use as you communicate with and, and talk to other people here.